Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 152, recorded January 9th, 2014. So our 12th IDW ongoing issue. This time we're covering issues 26, 27, and 28. Yes, wrapping up a four-part story arc, which is an interesting one. Lots of conflict. Romulans, Klingons, the Federation. And a reimagining of the Kittimer conflict. Yes, in the reboot universe. I must say, it's very interesting in general to see how far they decide to take the differences that occurred since the Narada came back into Kirk's father's time. To see exactly how much the divergences happen over time. Right, yeah, so it would be interesting to see how this continues, you know. Ten years down the road. <laughs> right. Because there are many... <laughs> I mean, because they've already almost covered most of... I mean, a lot of it, things that happen in the movies and later. And this is still supposed to be year one of the five-year mission. Or maybe year two by now. But uh, they're just mixing it all up. Everything seems... Es- um, well, okay. You're about accelerated. The right. Well, okay. So... So in the movies, they're not on the five-year mission yet. No. And, and I thought they were still at the beginning of their five-year mission here. Exactly. Because you're saying they've been in the five-year mission for the while in the comic no, book? No, 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 no. I'm saying they're, okay. they're in their first year of the mission. But right, that's what I agree. Right, events right. that happened in the Prime universe like oh, during gotcha. the movies and after the movies I gotcha. are happening right here. Like the yeah. Kittimer thing doesn't happen until you know, Star Trek VI and after. Exactly. It's pretty far in the future. Right. Right. So. Yes. Good point. Very good point. So some events are happening sooner. And also, as we will continue to read in the story, I think there's some events that happen in here that are pretty major departure from the Prime universe. The Taws. Right. Uh, universe. Still not as big as Vulcan blowing up, in my opinion. That is pretty big. That right. is major. Which is kind of cool, because in some ways... They're sticking pretty close to the original canon. And then in other ways, maybe to tell the, uh, the fans out there, uh, this isn't your father of Star Trek. They blow up Vulcan, you know. So in some places, major departures. In others, not as much. But right. there's some stuff going on here that, hmm. Anyway, we'll, we'll find out as we continue. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. So shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I do have a little quick catch-up, because it has been a little while since we've done issue uh, 25. So I am doing the synopsis for issue number 26, The Kittimer Conflict, Part 2. Published date is October 2013. Creative team includes writer Mike Johnson, 
story consultant Roberto Orki, artists Arfan Fajar, colors by Sakti Yawono and Ifan Sai Noor, both of Stellar Labs. Letterer is Tom B. Long. Editor is Sarah Gatos. The regular cover shows head and shoulder shots of Kirk and Spock in the upper and center of the cover. The Enterprise is surrounded by three Narada-inspired Klingon ships. On the edges of the cover are black outlines of many more Klingon ships. Kind of a shadow kind of thing. Silhouettes. The RIA cover, first alternate cover, is a black and white version of the main cover. RIB is a photo of Admiral Marcus on the Bridge of the Vengeance from Star Trek Into Darkness. The story so far. The Enterprise embarks on her five-year mission only to find ship and crew drawn into a widening conflict between the Romulan and Klingon empires. Kirk and his landing party have been captured by the Klingons after attempting to render aid to the Klingon Kittimer colony. Meanwhile, agents of the mysterious Section 31 scheme with Romulans to eliminate the Klingon threat once and for all. The Enterprise, in orbit above the decimated Kittimer colony, is surrounded by four enhanced Klingon attack ships. Commander Kor gives Spock the choice of surrendering the Enterprise and being boarded, or to fight and be destroyed by the superior Klingon forces. Kor confirms the captain and his landing party are alive. He also claims the superior Klingon technology will allow them to conquer the entire galaxy. As a demonstration, Kor has McCoy beamed to the Enterprise through her raised shields. Apparently one of the many tricks the Klingons learned from their time studying the Narada. Kor gives Spock time to mull over his decision and ends communication. McCoy wants to go in guns blazing and rescue Kirk, but Ahura, Sulu, and Spock point out the Klingons' advanced ships and greater numbers will likely end in a short fight and the Enterprise destroyed. Over McCoy's objections, Spock orders Sulu to lay in a course for Space Station K-11, Warp 9. Spock says the landing party has value to the Klingons, so they are unlikely to kill them. Spock plans to return when the odds are more even. The Enterprise takes off, and Kor calls them cowards. However, them running is exactly what Kor expected them to do. Exactly what he wanted them to do. Kor goes to the brig, where Kirk and the others are being held. This is an interesting brig in that it looks more like a dark dungeon in a castle than a room in a spaceship. He tells Kirk the Vulcan he left in charge ran like a coward to leave Kirk to face retribution for destroying Kittimer. Kirk gets smacked around some more, and Carol defiantly spits in Kor's face. Kor says he would have killed Carol on any other day, but they will live to see the destruction of their planet. On the border between Klingon and Romulan space, five Romulan attack ships wait for the arrival of their human partners in their clandestine war against the Klingons. The Romulan commander is surprised when the Section 31 agent hails them. The Romulan asks how their sensors did not detect the Federation ship's approach. 
the Section 31 agent speaking from one of the three very unusual Federation ships says they have not shared all their secrets with the Romulan Empire yet. The Romulan commander reports that, as predicted, the Klingons have split their forces and deployed them to protect their colonies. The way is open for them to visit Kronos together. Meanwhile, on Space Station K-11, Spock is in a video conference room with an admiral located in San Francisco. He tells Spock that given the dire circumstances, he did the right thing returning to K-11 without the landing party. He says he is organizing a special summit in San Francisco of Federation member planets. They must work as a united front if the Klingons have declared war on the Federation. Spock states that finding out who truly did attack the Kittimer colony should be a high priority. Armed with that information, a delegation could convince the Klingons to call off the war and focus their aggression on the true culprits. Spock volunteers to lead that diplomatic party. The Admiral thanks Spock, but orders that he and the Enterprise will stay at K-11 until further notice. Any further involvement from them will just provoke the Klingons and make matters worse. Elsewhere, Sulu tries to get his sister, Yuki, to change her mind and transfer off the Enterprise. She tells him to forget it. She is just as committed to the Enterprise and her mission as he is. She will not transfer. On Kor's ship, Kirk is interrogated concerning Khan. Kirk tells Kor again that Khan is an enhanced human being who went rogue after being used by the corrupt Admiral Marcus. It was Kirk and his crew that exposed and defeated Marcus who was preparing for conflict with the Klingon Empire. Kor calls Kirk an enthusiastic storyteller, but also says he wants to know where Khan is. His combat abilities that allowed him to slaughter many Klingon soldiers are most unhuman. Kirk tells Kor he is not sure exactly where Khan is. He tries to change the subject by proposing that maybe it was the Romulans who attacked Kittimer. Kor drives his clenched fist into the table and says the Romulans do not possess the firepower to wipe an entire colony off the face of a planet. Kor says his interest in Kirk's continued existence is waning as his enhanced ship races to its destination. At Space Station K-11, Ahura talks to Spock about getting the let out and doing what Captain Kirk would do rather than wasting time sitting at the space station. Kor arrives at Kronos and beams down to the surface with Kirk and the rest of his landing party prisoners. Kor says they will be in a dark cell on this planet until they decide to give military intelligence the Klingons ask for. As they are led down to their prison, the female security officer Zara cleverly confirms the guards do not speak Federation standard. She tells Kirk in whispers that she was able to unlock her shackles and Kai's, who is the other redshirt. Give them the word and they will attack the guards. An explosion on the surface stops them all in their tracks. Carol says the explosion was not an accident. That was ordinance. One of the guards turns and heads for the surface to find out what it was. Kirk gives Zara and Kai the word and they take down the guards effectively. They free Carol and Kirk. 
They grab the guards' rifles and run for the surface, hoping the ordnance are Federation-made. Cut to a Romulan ship, one of the four firing on the surface. The commander is gloating over the effect of their bombardment and how stupid the Klingons were for just leaving a few aging ships to protect their home planet. The Romulan hopes their allies' ground assault is going well. In a long hallway, Kor confronts Kirk and his team. Kor says he knew it. The Federation attacks. Kirk says it's not the Federation, but that he thinks it is whomever attacked Kittimer. The wall between them explodes, and they are all knocked back. Kor says he knew it. Humans. Kirk says no, not humans. As the three human-looking uniformed soldiers enter carrying very large weapons, similar to the ones used by Khan, Kirk says, Section 31. To be continued. Man, does Kirk have egg on his face? It is humans. (laughs) It is. And it's just dripping right off. Yeah. Yep. He's wrong. But But these humans don't look happy to see Kirk either. No, I mean, obviously that wasn't part of the plan. Um, and the thing is, when they first bust in, you know, they're carrying some pretty big weaponry, you know, uh, like in one hand. And right. I was thinking to myself when they first came through, those aren't some of Khan's people, is it? Or are they normal humans? I think they're normal humans. Well, we find out later they definitely are. But yes, at this point, I I, I didn't know for sure. Uh, but, but then again, I was thinking, well, I mean, how would they get... Would they take the risk of Khan's people? I mean, how'd they get them, how would they get them to do their bidding? Right. Uh, you know, I don't know. So. And unthaw them all. Without, I'm sorry, what? And unthaw them without oh. everybody knowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. But um, they are carried. There must be some, um, you know, graphite something or other weapons because they look pretty big and they're carrying them around pretty easy. Yeah, they do have shoulder straps, though, so it's not like they're just oh, I'm sure freehanding it like, like Khan was. Now, if they had some kind of like um, like like body skeleton kind of thing like on Elysium or something, you know, then you can carry heavier things, but, yeah, who knows. I'm not so sure a strap alone is going to help, but, hey, cool. <laughs> Better than just holding it out with your outstretched arm. Yes, exactly. Khan was so cool when he took out all those Klingons. No, they're called Blingons in this continuity. Blingons. <sighs> because of all the the facial earrings, or what? Because of all the bling-bling, yeah. <laughs> they, they do kind of look gold, don't they? Gold or brass or something. Right. Yeah. Blingons. Cool. Yes. Anyways, I enjoyed this issue. I thought it was good. I liked yeah, uh, Zara's that she was able to, you know, worm her way out of the uh, the cuffs without anybody right, noticing. Right. Well, I, I must say I do like having red shirt security guards being smart and resourceful rather than uh, dead meat. Right. I like that better. Uh, than than the original series, although right. really, how does she get out of those? Nah, whatever. Don't she says don't she's not gonna she's not gonna tell you. <laughs> she's not gonna share all of her secrets. She didn't learn it all from Star. 
Starfleet Academy. <laughs> okay. So my only complaint with that scene where uh, Zara does tell Kirk that she's out of the, the cuffs right. is that she tells the Klingon that his mother mates with an unclean Ferengi. Mm-hmm. So I know this is a new continuity oh, and all, but, but in the prime continuity, they don't meet the, con- the Ferengis until much later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that occurred to me, but whatever. Yeah, well, we see Bajorans and stuff, so obviously they're they're meeting all the other races much faster than they did in the Prime Universe. Right. Well, as you mentioned before, a lot of things are happening faster in this continuity. Right. Or just conveniently, because uh, nobody but us is going to nitpick it. (laughs) But that's what we're here for, and we're going to do it, darn it. (laughs) So, uh, my last comment about Zara... um, Why'd she change her hair color? Because <laughs> in the previous issues, she was dark-haired. Yeah. And then if, if this is the same Zara that was in the original series, I thought she was a black woman in, in that series. So when I saw her in those previous issues and she had the black hair and she had darker skin, I thought, I was like, okay, it's the same Zara. But this woman looks very pale and she has the, the platinum blonde hair now, almost white hair. So, as far as Taz is concerned, people could be anything. But um, yeah, if a previous issue showed her with dark hair, that's too. Well, then you could dye your hair. I mean, you're about to go on your five year mission. You're not going to see Earth for five years. Go wacky. Give it a little. Give it a little dye and cut. Because she had really long hair when they were fighting the um, the the Gorn. No, that whole landing party was useless in that issue. She's obviously learned a lot since then because she's. Pretty, I guess so. Pretty cool here. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do anything against Gorns, but she's taking up the Klingons. Okay. Anyways, I like the scene. I agree with you. I like that uh, she's competent, and yeah. so is the you know the Orion guy. He's pretty good too. Yeah, who kind of looks a little bit like Martian Manhunter. Yes, the Martian Manhunter guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, so at the, I thought it was a little bit odd at the very beginning when you first see Kirk in this issue, and he's like unconscious at the foot of the uh, of Core, the Klingon commander. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a little it's from a little distance, but you look at his face and he looks like he isn't touched. He looks fine, and I was thinking, well, if he got the the bejesus knocked out of him, why does he look fine? You know, his face doesn't seem to be very bloodied, but at least they show him later on when he's like in the dungeon. He's got you know, a bloodied up face, so right. that's good. I just, I just thought it might have happened earlier, you know, like in the previous issue. So they should show it at the beginning of this issue, but whatever. It's from a little bit of a distance, and you don't see his face hat on, but you see enough of it where he looks normal, but whatever. It's a nit. Right. But in, in the last issue, didn't Kor rip his shirt all up and pull the badge off? He pulled the badge off. We well, at least know that much. Yeah, so does that shirt look like it's missing that much of it? No, but you can't see his chest, right? Because he's right. Uh, face down. Well, partially he's face down. So right. you can't really see the left part of his uh, chest. Right. And then later, good point, they, they in the comic book, they, they take off their tunics. So they just got black outfits. Right, and the women have like a black, I guess it's a... Slip of some sort, like a one-piece dress. 
which which I had a question about. Do they do they wear that underneath the you know blue or red skirt uniform? Mini that skirts? They normally wear? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. That's a very good point. Don't know. Yeah, because I don't. I don't think they do. I'd basically be wearing two dresses, and you know, doesn't look like they normally wear that much when right. they're on screen. Yes, thank God. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense for the guys because you know you know that they have that black thing underneath, black T-shirt. But right. Yep. Don't get it with the women. That's a good point because I didn't even think about that. Well. At least, uh, hopefully, they would wear the same amount of clothes as the men do. So, kudos for them. There you go. So, how do you like those Section 31 Federation ships? Interesting. Looks like, you know, uh, horseshoes attached to nacelles. And, and that's an interesting point. So, they've got, they do have the saucer section, only it's more like you say, in a horseshoe shape. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe 70% of a full saucer section, and it's kind of missing in the back. Right. So that was kind of interesting. And then they've got something in the middle, which is supposed to be the engineering section. And then the last thing that's interesting to me is, I'm not so sure that there are two nacelles there. I think there's one nacelle, right. and then another thing that might be the engineering section and the shuttle bays. So in some ways, it looks like an advanced version of the Kelvin. It does look like an advanced version of the Kelvin, yep. So, I thought it was very interesting. It is interesting. Just looks a little unwieldy. It, it's cool looking at first, but it's like one nacelle. It looks cool, but no. I, I kind of like multiple engines. Well, they look cooler. Yeah. But... I mean, like does it really matter? Do you need more than one nacelle to really go through warp? And especially if it's I don't the, know. the warp speed question. of the J.J. Abrams universe. <laughs> That's true. So you would think that they wouldn't need a stargazer then with four nacelles, wouldn't you? Right. You would think. Have you ever <laughs> seen a four-engine ship in this universe? <laughs> I don't know, but I just have a feeling we might see one soon. Who knows? Uh, now, th- this little horseshoe shape, there is a couple of ships in the, the Prime universe that have a similar shape, and I don't remember what the class number is and stuff like that. Oh, but, really? The horseshoe? Yeah, so like during the uh, during the battle with the Dominion, during Deep yeah. Space Nine, there was a lot of shots where it just showed a bunch of ships blowing up. And there was a time or two where they showed a ship similar to this. Not not quite like this, but at least the saucer sh- section was a little bit like this that I I always enjoyed. That it looked pretty cool, right? There's actually one that's kind of horseshoe sh- horseshoe shaped, but then with the engineering and nacelle sections that look a lot like what they ended up using on uh, Enterprise for the NX zero one, if I remember correctly. Huh? I, I have to look those up. Cause, yeah, because um, I always thought those looked pretty cool. And you know, they probably just made a really tiny model just so that they could have something in the background, right? You know, it was a prototype of something, but... Yeah. But I always like the, you know, the negative space type look. look you know, that the Romulan ships have. The newer ones. Oh! Uh, what's the negative space? Well, what? you know, where there's just nothing there, like... Oh, in the middle. Used, you're used to something being in the middle, but then there's Right, not. but there isn't. Right. Huh. Just yeah. looks cool. A different look to it. 
very cool. Like these things have a very different look to them. Right. Uh, of course, all black and, and dark gray and all very stealthy looking. Another thing I'm kind of wondering about is it seems like they're getting a lot of high-tech stuff being injected into the uh, storyline. So, I mean, between Transwarp beaming and Federation cloaking devices and then adapted Narada tech, which, and of course, Narada got some of his tech from being <laughs> adapted Borg tech, it just seems like they're getting an awful lot of dangerous technology introduced into into this reboot universe. Right. Yeah, and I don't I don't get some of it. Now I get the Narada tech being in the Klingon ships. That actually kinda makes sense, but yeah. I don't understand how the Federation has such advanced ships. Well yeah, and the whole thing is did they get all this stuff as part of the same Marcus program that that Khan took part in? Apparently. But so I know Khan helped design those torpedoes that just happened to carry people, too. That's very right. handy. And so did he have some hand in, in stealthing technology, uh, the cloak? Maybe these ships? You know, it's like, it's just very, hmm. it's very interesting. That, that, I don't know. And the other thing that's kind of an interesting departure is Section 31 always seemed kind of like the CIA, they're like the guys in the background. They're manipulating people through uh, subterfuge and things like that. But Section 31, I mean, they got ships. Big, nasty ships in some cases. It's just kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, even the Enterprise is so much bigger than the original Enterprise. So I, I don't get why that's more advanced, and I definitely don't get why the Vengeance was so more advanced. Unless unless well, they are, because they, they said they were expanding more than after the destruction of Vulcan, that they went further into the reaches of space looking for stuff. So maybe they maybe they found, found something that we're not aware of yet. Yeah, maybe we'll know. find out. They, but they do seem to be, the Federation seems to have a lot of stuff that uh, that they didn't have before. Right. And it's not obvious how they did it. Especially considering Khan was only a guy from... Uh, the next century, right? I mean, the... Uh, what? No, he's from the 90s. Oh, was it the 90s? I thought it was the early 2000s. Okay. I, I think they say the eugenic war happened in the 90s. Okay. So it's not like Khan brought a whole bunch of great stuff with him. Nope. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a puzzler. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we'll never get an answer. It'll just go with it. No, but I, I am kind of annoyed how the transwarp beaming just is now going to pop up when it's handy, apparently. So who transwarp beamed in this one? Oh, nobody. Oh, okay, okay. But I'm just saying that Khan did. Oh, right, right. So, I mean, and if, and they brought that back from the first movie, so it's not, I mean, I thought they were going to like, I think I might have said this in the past on the show, but I thought they were going to just take that transwarp beaming stuff and put it in that, um... Indiana Jones government <laughs> warehouse. Not yeah, going to trot that area out again. 51, right. Exactly, because it was just it, too much complexity. You know, it just it just opens up too many questions. Um, but they trotted it right back out again in the second movie. Um, I don't know. Right, and it's and not only that, but it was a portable transport. Exactly. 
Exactly. Don't even need a ship anymore. Just walk around with a little briefcase. Well, exactly. And again, which annoyed the heck out of us in that one uh, comic issue where a ship tried to transport itself. How the heck does that work? <laughs> well, it, this, didn't, it didn't work for those guys. Exactly. But this is something that not only is small, it can transport you to the other side of the galaxy, and it can transport you while transporting itself. Well, no, it didn't transport itself because it that's that's how that's how Scotty found it. So it was on the, the okay. shuttle after Khan left. Okay, so how was Khan going to get back up from from Klingon? He wasn't. He he did what he needed to do. Hmm. Or maybe he had one over there too. I don't know. <laughs> You're thinking too hard. Kenny. Okay, so he had two of them. Maybe. And one of them that wasn't active transported with him. Um. Sure. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he was planning on leaving. I think he was. I think he was finished. Wow. Mm. Maybe he had a ship. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'm thinking a lot at the uh, after the fourth issue of this storyline. I'll tell you. I'm just getting warmed up. All right. Moving on. Do you enjoy the uh, Sulu sister moments? Not really. No. I mean, she's kind of cute, but you know. It's like, uh, unless they actually make something out of this, who knows? It's it's filler. Right. So I don't ever remember Sulu saying he had a sister. Doesn't necessarily mean he didn't, but True. it does make you wonder if this is one of the uh, changes in continuity. Oh, I see. So the original George Takei Sulu didn't have right. a uh, sister? Hmm. Not that I know of, but that's not saying he didn't, because I don't know anything. I don't remember any dialogue where he says, I was an only child. (laughs) Well, we didn't know he had kids until... uh, Generations. Oh, Generations. Okay, that's right. The beginning of Generations. How did Sula have time for a family? There you go. He made time. Exactly. Damn it, Jim. You should have done that. So I don't ever watch the fan-made films and stuff, but mm-hmm. I did watch what is it called? New Voyages. Something I I, like I I think they've changed the name a few times because right. it. But I, I New Voyages might be the the latest name of it, but right. I think it, ha- it used to have a slightly different name. Well, anyways, the the one that I watched, I've only watched one, and it had George Takei in it reprising his role of Sulu. So there was, you know, but Captain Nick- Sulu. Yeah, there was bookending marks, uh, bookending parts with him and and all the cast from Star Trek VI. You know, the Rand was there, right? And boy, did her uniform look great, right? But then it went into this flashback where it was, you know, these fans, this fan made, you know, actors, and there was another guy playing Sulu that looks nothing like him. But but just going on. <laughs> I watched that and it was just like I was really impressed because they in in the the main story they even found a way to age Sulu you know fifty something years so that he became George Takei Sulu in the in the show and I re- I really recommend you watching it but it had Demora Sulu in it too so uh, you know his daughter so right it was it was kind of cool to see the a Sulu family reunion of sorts uh, in a in a fan made film it was pretty impressive. Some of the stories are pretty decent in those, and the special effects are surprisingly good. 
Uh, right. I mean, far better than the original series. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, this episode I watched was written by Michael Reeves, who's a who's a you know he's he writes episodes for lots of TV shows. So I right. mean, it was a legitimate writer, right? So, anyways, I thought that was good, and I I regret that I can't remember the exact name. I think it was New Voyages. No, you're right. It's New Voyages. Okay. And so. um, to serve all my days. Uh, blood and fire, not blood and fire. Uh, world enough and time, maybe. That might be it, because world enough have, and time. It did have time travel in it. Right. Okay. Cool. It was good. Very good. I recommend people to actually go back and watch that on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, there's also one of the episodes. I think the first one is uh, in harm's way, which is a pretty cool kind of redo of Doomsday Machine. Okay. All right, I think I'm going to start watching those. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of four of them, but they could have more. I think they do. Yeah. All right, so uh, anyways, I enjoy the Sulu character. I'm glad she's part of the the five-year mission. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool! And that's my last comment on this, except for the, you know, Romulan chicken feet. Uh, I still don't like those those guns looking like bird legs. <laughs> so the guns at the bottom of the ships. Right. The, yes. the advanced guns that Section 31 gave them. Exactly. So they're really long, and they come out the bottom because, of course, they're firing down on the planet, and they look like chicken feet. Yeah, that's right. They look like chicken feet on a, on a bird of prey, which already looks like a bird, so... <laughs> it looks ridiculous. So it maybe looks like talons. Right. Which yeah. is ridiculous because it's not supposed to be a real bird. Right. I agree. There you go. When when they Speaking... shot the photon torpedoes and it looked like <clears throat> big eggs coming out of their butt, I was out. I, was like, I can't take this serious anymore. <laughs> well, speaking of all that. Something that kind of annoyed me is Core says the Romulans do not possess the firepower to wipe an entire colony off their planet. It's like, really? So the Romulans don't have cloaking devices, and they've got ships that have weak enough weapons that they can't blow a colony off the surface of a planet? That's kind of wimpy. I mean... I remember even the old Enterprise, the Taz Enterprise, supposedly could... Uh, decimate the surface of a planet. I think the episode uh, Bread and Circuses, if that's the right one, the the Romulan or the Roman parallel development episode. Right. I think they said in there the Enterprise could lay waste to the entire planet's surface, which might have been overstating things a little bit, but still, I mean, the the Romulans couldn't do it. Well, we we saw the Enterprise do it in a in a Gold Key comic, if you remember correctly. Oh, it destroyed oh. A, a whole planet. It's a good it's, point. It's whole ecosystem because of some space spores it was producing. Right. So uh, that's a lot of ground to cover. Okay. So they, yeah. if Gold Key said it, <laughs> right. So if they say it, it has to be true. Exactly. For, so why couldn't the Romulans do it? Don't yeah, know. I don't know. I think it was just very convenient. I, I think Core makes a lot of boneheaded comments throughout these issues. <laughs> right. I liked his dialogue in the first issue. Right. Issue, oh, his little issue twenty-five or whatever. His it was. little monologue there towards the end. Yes, 
I thought I thought thanking them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, I, you don't see much of that here. No. No, no. You know, unfortunately. He's just like a comic book guy that pops up, does his lines, and move on. Yes. Keeps on moving on. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I want to mention before we move on is um, how they keep flipping how they spell Kronos. So um, so they, they, they spelled it K-R-O-N-O-S, like in the movie at the top of the page uh, that procl- that proclaimed their arrival there. Okay. However, Kor referred to his home world uh, spelled, you know, the normal way, the real way, uh, Q-O, comma, N-O-S, in a word balloon. So was that purposeful? Are they trying to say that K-R-O-N-O-S is some kind of humanification of the name? Uh, but as far as Klingon's concerned, it's spelled you know with with the Q O whatever. Yeah, maybe I like that answer. Yeah, because well, I didn't like that they misspelled it in the movie. No, not at all. I thought it kind of sucked. But I mean, maybe this is displaying that it was kind of on purpose, or maybe they're making up a justification. I don't know. I like it. I like yeah. justifications, especially when it makes things fit. Right? Thank you, Ken, for making that fake. I didn't even catch it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's my last comment. Last one? Last okay. one. Last one. All right. Well, then let me jump into issue 27. It came out November of 2013. All the writing and art staff is the same as last issue, except for the letterer, who is now Chris Mowry. So uh, this is entitled The Kittimer Conflict Part 3 of 4. So the cover is in basically three layers. So I'm going to start from the back. So the furthest background shows half of a Klingon logo and half of a Romulan one, and they're kind of merged together with like a big rip in between. In front of that, there's a picture of Spock and Kirk standing. Kirk has his phaser drawn, and Spock is kind of looking at him curiously. And then in front of them, we see the modified Romulan and Klingon ships firing away at one another. And then there is one alternate cover this month, and it's the exact same cover, but in black and white. So the story starts with the Enterprise now being captained by Spock, monitoring the border of nearby Klingon space. McCoy is on the bridge and giving Spock a very hard time about leaving Kirk and the others there on Quonos last issue. And he's demanding that they should defy orders and head back and retrieve them. Meanwhile, on Kronos, Kirk, Carol, Zara, and Kai are in the middle of a firefight between the Klingons and the Section 31 army. They are unarmed and trying to stay out of the fight. Kirk's goal is to find a ship and head away from the Klingon homeworld as fast as possible. His plan is cut short when Kor finds them. He does not believe Kirk when he is told that the Section 31 people want to kill Kirk as much as they want to kill the Klingons. Before Kor can blast the good captain, Kor himself gets shot in the back. As he falls to the ground with a smoking hole in his back, we see it is a Section 31 soldier right behind him who is now aiming his rifle at the crew. Back on the Enterprise, Spock is having a briefing with his senior staff. They all make compelling arguments that Section 31 might not have died with Admiral Marcus. 
They speculate that Section 31 is behind the Kittimer attack and that they are still able to give orders to keep the Enterprise away from Kronos. Their logic is solid enough that Spock agrees and he orders a course back to Kronos. Back in the battle, Kirk and company are being held at rifle point. The Section 31 soldier then orders four for beam-up. A green transporter effect surrounds the four Enterprise crew members and... They materialize on a Romulan bird of prey. The Romulan commander named Lenar greets them pleasantly. The leader of the Section 31 troops also arrives, though he refuses to give his name. The leader tells Kirk that they are on the same side. He has teamed up with the Romulans to have a way to wipe out the Klingons from the galaxy once and for all. Kirk claims that he will stop them both. Suddenly, the Romulan ship is rocked as the Klingon fleet of Narada-enhanced ships arrive and start blasting the green ships. Soon, the Enterprise herself arrives and watches this epic space battle between the super-advanced ships. Commander Lenar contacts Spock, and he requests their assistance in exchange for Kirk and the crew. Spock refuses and then states that Lenar made a mistake by acknowledging that Kirk was on his ship. He also states that the Romulan shields are damaged and he simply beams Kirk and the other three onto the bridge of the Enterprise. He then tells the commander that they will be returning to Federation space and he closes the communication. On the Enterprise bridge, Kirk informs Spock that they cannot leave. They need to go back down there and stop the Section 31 army before they can detonate the last remaining red matter in this universe. He takes Kai, Zara, and Sulu with him this time, and they arm themselves with the video game-inspired battle armor and rifles. They beam down to the homeworld, and they are able to take out a large group of Section 31 soldiers. They are about to head further into the Capitol building when the transporter effect appears and Yuki Sulu appears with two phasers drawn, one pointed at her captain and the other her brother. She tells them that Sulu was not the only one offered a position at Section 31. To be continued. What? 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 I know, right? I didn't see that coming. So, I like that they finally brought up, brought back that, um, that little scene where Sulu was being offered something. Yes. Uh, what was that? The, uh, the, the... Assignment Annihilate episode or I issue? Assignment Annihilate. I don't remember. It was the issue it, that it was, was it, the, it was early in the in the ongoing series. Right. It was the one where they, they went to the planet that was being hypnotized by uh the supercomputer. Loud. Oh, that's Return of the Archons. Or, yeah, that was it. Return of the Archons. I'm pretty sure that was the issue. Well, it was that or else they were doing it just after he left the Academy, right? It didn't say. It just kind of seemed... It was just a little scene where... Right. And then I think he was even... I think it was after Star Trek, the motion picture, because he he says that he's still working on the Enterprise with Kurt in that little scene with the mysterious group. Right. Which I always thought that was going to play into something later, maybe even the, the new movie. You know, in the darkness because it right. hadn't come out at the time. Right. That he really was working for some secret group, but hey, oh, that's what we were both thinking. 
But nope, I guess he did decline him, and little Miss Sulu took the offer. Apparently. And we'll find out why in the next issue. Right. I was surprised. Well, not only was I surprised that she turns out being the pistol packing mama Section 31 person, the mole uh, in the Enterprise crew, apparently, but she's packing two combat phasers from the Taws movies. Oh, really? Yes. Take a closer look. Those are virtually identical to the ones used in Star Trek V. Huh. Yeah. Advanced tech. (laughs) I'm just, you know, I don't know whether the artists are just having a great time, this Arfan guy or whatever, if I got that right. But, well, first off, he's an excellent artist. But he's just, he's just, an interesting combination of things are being brought in here that to some degree is a little off-putting, but still cool. I mean, I, I love that particular phaser design, right? But, but look at it. I mean, that's that's almost identical to the one because I've got a, a prop of it here, and uh, there were just some very minor differences. So, very cool. They did that. I have no right. idea why. There, there's absolutely nowhere for that nozzle to flip around for stun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, how could that work in the reboot universe? Right. Yeah, I guess exactly. if you have a battle pistol that uh, you're not going to ever set it to stun. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, come on. Even <laughs> if you are uh, Federation good guys. Another thing I find interesting is that the phaser Kirk is using on the cover, the main mm-hmm. cover, the primary cover, because I don't know where that came from, because that's not a normal Federation phaser. Buck Rogers? I don't know. Uh, Logan's Run? I don't know. But that doesn't look Federation. And I don't know whether they're trying to say they he took it off of a dead Klingon or something, or a dead Romulan. I don't know. But that's that does not look like Federation issue. Another interesting thing is that the Romulan ships on the cover are quite different from the Romulan ships on the inside of the book. The Romulan ships on the cover kind of look like some kind of homage to them still using Klingon design. Yep. Original Taw's Klingon design. But not, the, not exactly the same, but close. But on the inside, they look very cool, and their front section looks like <clears throat> next-gen Romulan ships. It does. Which I like that design better, the one on the inside of the, the comic. I like that design better, right. e- even though it does have the feet. Um, <laughs> but it's it's right. it's just it's just interesting how they're they're mixing together these things, um, right? Well, it's a different guy doing the cover, so I I I know that. Yeah, granted, but but even on the inside, you know, you know some of the phasers they're using, interesting. Yeah, I thought some of the phasers in that final fight yeah. where they're taking out all the Section Thirty One people, um, a lot of them just looked like. You know, square. Uh, you know, like little rectangles on a on a pistol barrel kind of thing. I thought they looked yeah. kind of cheesy. <clears throat> well, actually, again, especially that one shot where they show Zan, uh, Zan whatever whatever the um, female red shirt's name is, when she's shooting that one section thirty one guy in the back of the head, which I like. That looks a lot like a first contact phaser rifle, at least from that angle. Right. 
I could see that. Yeah, so the the sight especially. Um, but you're right, they're kind of short, stubby kind of things, aren't they? That Not much of a hilt. Right. You know. But then the ones that the Section 31 people are even worse if you go back a couple of pages. Yeah. Like when Kai shoots that one guy and it says, Ka-chow! <laughs> ka-chow, ka-chow! Yeah. You see that one that that guy's wearing? I mean, it's just, it looks like a... Oh, yeah. You know, standard gun with this little box on the front. Yeah, well, what, I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it kind of look like, uh, God, what does it look like? Judge Dredd or something? I don't know. I, I, I've kind of seen some things like that in other franchises, but definitely not in Star Trek. Right. Huh. I don't think it was Judge Dredd or, or RoboCop. Well, I know it wasn't RoboCop. And I've seen a lot of different ver- I've seen a lot of different versions of what was it the peacemaker? Is that what what was the name of his gun? Robo uh, gun? No no no. <laughs> uh <laughs> Judge Dredd. Oh yeah, the peacemaker, right. Something like that. Or lawgiver. The lawgiver. There you go. Cool gun by the way. But I've seen many versions of that. Yes, they're very creative. And the artwork is excellent as always. Um some of the explosions look really, I mean, the explosions look really bright, almost like it's backlit. But it's a, a normal page page of uh, paper. Very impressive. Yeah. And, you know, just as far as artwork in the, during the fight, um, I thought it was interesting how many people get shot in the head. Oh, I mean a Which hand you, fight? Yeah. yeah. You, you don't see that very often. That, but when they're fight Section 31 there at the end, I mean, two or three people get it in the head. Yep, or face. Sulu shoots one of them in the side of the face. Uh, Zan, or whatever her name is, clearly in the back of the head. Right, um, but didn't Kirk shoot somebody in the in the face, like the page before? Or oh, did he? upper chest. Uh, so anyways, it's, it's a pr- pretty brutal attack. Right. Hey, you gotta take these guys out. You can't be screwing around. And I thought it was funny that Kai gets shot in the chest, but he bounces back pretty quick. One page later. So uh, is that because these are tactical outfits with some kind of personal shielding or something? What's the deal? Uh, Ryder wanted him to come back to shoot that other guy in the back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Orion, so he can take a hit or two. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he might have had uh, some of those uh, Star Trek Elite Force outfits or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. I know in the game they they can take a hit or two before they go down. There so. you go. Maybe that's why people are getting hit in the head because there's some kind of shielding to some degree. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think so. Pretty cool. So is Core dead? Yeah, that sucks. I mean, it looks like he's dead. Oh, he has a huge hole in his back. He's, he's shot dead. in the back. He's shot in the back. I thought that was a pretty major, pretty major. That was, you know, second to Sulu's sister being a traitor. That was right. that was the the big event in this issue, right? But the thing is, we never saw her before. So you bring her in. Well, I mean, until recently, right? Yeah, you bring her in, you get her out, no big deal. Uh, but Core, it's like, hey, let's get rid of a uh, a fairly significant Klingon character. Okay. Right. I mean, I wonder if. They had to talk to JJ about that. No? Okay. Just kill him. I doubt it. And yeah, if they want to bring him back in the movie, they're going to they be will. able to. Right? Yeah. Well, th- this is not canon for them, so. It is for me, darn it. So he he'll better not do, come back. He'll do anything. 
<laughs> well, whoever's taken over will do uh, whatever they want. Right. But hopefully not blow their nose in the continuity too much. Like they're about to, like they're about to do to Star Wars. Damn you, JJ. <laughs> I don't know, and you must, you must be reading things that I haven't been. Well, I don't know anything for sure, but I did see an article where they said that they're going to rewrite uh, a lot of the expanded universe continuity to um, match what what what's going to be in this in these movies. Oh. So the, at least they are ta- at least they're doing that. I mean, JJ Abrams group is, you know, the Star Wars group writing group is going through all the expanded universe and picking out what is and isn't going to be part of the new continuity, which you know, technically they don't even have to do that. All they, they have, have to do to. is match it up to the six previous movies. Right. So yeah, I was it, I was pleased to hear that at least. Yeah, that's good. I mean, quite frankly, matching it up to the previous six movies would be good enough for me. But yeah, good point. Right. Since you, I have read very little of the expanded universe books, very few. It's good, man. It's I, good. I bet. I bet. All right. So back to this issue. A- any other comments? Because I really don't have any. Scotty has that train of thought that he says the only people they can trust are on the Enterprise, and he says he likes that. He likes the thought that everybody in the Federation is out to get them, and they can only trust the people on the, on the Enterprise. It's like, what are you talking about, Scotty? What, why do you like that? Maybe he's being sarcastic. Yeah, I, I hope so. Because that's kind of like, Scotty, come on, man. I, I also thought at this point, with everything that's going on here, I was thinking to myself, man, how are they going to resolve this story? It's like, this thing seems to be spinning out of control. Um, you know, we got humans on Kronos attacking and killing Klingons, and they're in some dark alliance with the Romulans, and it's like, how is this ever going to straighten out to the Alpha Quadrant I know and love? Right. So, I was just kind of... I mean, the story can diverge. It just seems like it's taken a pretty big divergence right about here. Right. Yeah, they got a, a lot of work to do to get back into a line so that the next movie won't have to acknowledge any of this. <laughs> exactly, right. That's even more so. Now, now, mind you, I think they're laying the groundwork here for a good reason for, <laughs> for there to be the, the three-way conflict. Because, you know, there's always conflict between the Federation and the Romulans and the Klingons. You always got to have somebody to mix up, mix up things to make things right. interesting. So they're definitely laying the groundwork for a lot of hatred here. But it's like, man, I don't know. Yeah, so hopefully they won't just try to wrap it all up in one, one issue. <laughs> you mean one more issue? Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of stuff's going on that, that will need to be uh, addressed in multiple issues, I think. Right. Well, I just wonder if the next movie is just going to have them, you know, jumping on, a sh- jumping on the Enterprise and just going off into the frontier for their five-year mission and not acknowledge any of this. Except that, hey, there's all, you know, they don't like us and we like them and, you know, 
there's going to be conflict every once in a while. I don't know. Right. Now, I think I think they're going to have to go back in time to save some humpback whales. Mm, perhaps that, or perhaps a next-gen style uh, reset switch. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Right. Maybe, maybe they'll maybe they'll redo Spock's brain. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I'd love to see a revamped Spock's brain episode. I think uh, I would have much rather seen that than them redoing uh, where no man's gone before. Come on, wouldn't you? you? Would? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Hell yeah! Who wants to see Gary Seven use the Force? <laughs> Not Gary Seven. I'm sorry, Gary Mitchell. Gary Mitchell. Okay, too good. many Garys. Too many Garys. Gosh darn it! Anyways. That's my last comment. All right. Well, let's move on. Excellent. Issue number 28 is the final chapter of The Kittimer Conflict. Published date, December 2013. Writing team is most all the same, except I think the colors are different. Benny Mualana of Stellar Labs, so I think he's new. Uh, Gilberto Lascano is the letterer. I think that's new. And I think everybody else is the same. The regular cover features full-body drawings of McCoy, Uhura, and Chekhov with the Enterprise superimposed over the lower parts of their bodies. The bottom of the page has the title The Kittimer Conflict, Part 4 of 4. RI-A cover is the black-and-white version of the regular cover. And RI-B is a photo of McCoy scowling and working with some upright glass display on either the bridge or the sickbay. The story opens up in a video chat between Sulu's sister Yuki and her best friend from Starfleet Academy, a Vulcan named Tapan. From their respective worlds, Earth and Vulcan, the two ladies are discussing the start of the new semester at Starfleet Academy, and they're looking very much forward to seeing each other next week. The comm is cut off unexpectedly. Little does Yuki know, but her best friend in the whole world will soon die with her world as Vulcan is destroyed by the Romulan miner from a different timeline turned villain. The narrative snaps back to the scene from the end of the previous issue. Yuki is holding two combat phasers on Kirk's landing party while her fellow Section 31 soldiers get back on their feet. She has been telling her brother and the rest of the landing party her story. How she came to realize how precarious Earth's place in the galaxy truly was, when her best friend and her planet Vulcan was easily wiped out by terrorists with the latest in technological threats, Red Matter. She was recruited by Section 31 and gladly took the responsibility to help defend Earth, unlike her brother Sulu, who did not. Sulu said, there was something fishy about Section 31. He could never work for a shadowy organization he did not trust. Right on time, a three-man Romulan party beamed down with the last drop of red matter known to exist in the galaxy. They say they are going to plant it into the Klingon Council Chamber. They say it will be less effective than the red matter bomb that was used on Vulcan since it will detonate on the surface rather than inside the planet, but they say it will be effective enough. Sulu appeals to Yuki to stop this, but she refuses and says she hopes one day he will forgive her. Meanwhile, above Kronos, the Enterprise is taking a beating. 
they are taking fire from both Klingon and Romulan ships. O'Hara reports she has lost contact with the landing party. Spock gives the order to disengage from the battle, but to stay close enough to Kronos to re-establish contact with the landing party when the opportunity presents itself. The Romulan commander, Ilnar, says to let the Enterprise go for now, but they will hunt it down after they complete defeating the Klingon Armada. The Section 31 leader enters the Romulan bridge and says the Enterprise and her crew belongs to Section 31. Elnar accuses him of reneging on their deal, but the Section 31 man states their deal was to share advanced technology, not handing over Federation ships and crews. The Section 31 man tells Elnar they have come to the endgame. Choose your next move wisely. Cut to the Klingon Council Chamber, where the handcuffed Chancellor and his men are on their knees. However, they still defiantly tell the Romulan ground commander they will never win. The Romulan says they have already won, and for the Chancellor to feel honored that the last drop of red matter in the galaxy is being used on his dangerous warrior people. The Romulan tells Yuki and the other Section 31 agents to set the bomb and get this over with. Yuki unexpectedly gives the orders to secure the Romulans. The Section 31 people shoot the Romulan soldiers. Sulu asks Yuki why the change. She says, why should they bother with the Romulans any longer than they absolutely have to? She turns and says she holds the fate of Kronos in her hands. She asks for a reason not to use the bomb. Kirk says he can give her two. Meanwhile in space, four Romulan ships arrive at the Enterprise's withdrawn location. The Romulan commander asks Spock to surrender and assures him that Kirk and his team will come to no harm if he does. If he does not, the Enterprise will be destroyed just like the Klingon Armada. Spock offers another option when suddenly an unfamiliar ship appears that looks like a cross between Marcus's Vengeance and Picard's Fornay-Celled Stargazer. It is positioned between the Enterprise and the Romulan ships. The Section 31 commander opens a three-way channel between himself, Spock, and Elnar. Angrily, Elnar demands to know how Section 31 ship just appeared in their midst, the Section 31 commander says their agreement did not require Section 31 to share all their advanced technology. The still unnamed Section 31 man tells Ilnar their alliance is over. Back on Kronos, Kirk is telling Yuki that if they use the last red matter to destroy the Klingon capital, the Klingons remaining will respond to the last living man to get their vengeance. The Chancellor confirms that is exactly what their response will be. Kirk asks the Chancellor to remember that not all humans want to destroy the Klingon people. Yuki, unbelievingly, asks Kirk that he just wants them to walk away? Kirk says no, and proposes to use the last drop of red matter as a deterrent to further aggression. The threat will be more powerful than the weapon. Back in space, Eldar angrily says he and his larger number of ships will destroy the Enterprise and the Section 31 ship. 
The Section 31 commander says he expected a Romulan commander to be brighter than he is turning out to be. Kirk's landing party and Yuki, holding the Red Matter bomb, beam into the Section 31 commander's bridge. The commander says Kirk is just in time to witness them destroying the last of the threats to Earth, no matter where the threat comes from. All Ilnar can say in a small, weak voice is, No. All the Romulan ships blow up simultaneously. Nothing left but tiny little bits. The Section 31 man explains the advanced Federation weaponry installed on the Romulan ships were equipped with a self-destruction program that he can, and just did, activate remotely. Kirk calls the Section 31 man a maniac and says he has guaranteed a Romulan attack on the Federation. The Section 31 commander says he was monitoring the discussion in the council chamber. He agrees with Kirk, and that the threat to use red matter will be a great deterrent to the Klingons, but also to the Romulans. He tells Kirk the chessboard has changed. The Klingon and Romulan fleets are severely reduced in number. The Klingons are now as likely to want to attack the Romulans as the Federation, but we have all the red matter. Kirk asks if he and his ship will now just be destroyed while Section 31 fades back into the shadows. The Section 31 man says Kirk and his ship are free to go. He also says Admiral Marcus was a madman who betrayed everything Section 31 stands for. He says he and Kirk are on the same side. Kirk obviously does not agree, but just tells him to put he and his people back on their ship. Before he goes, Kirk tells Yuki the second reason why she shouldn't use the red matter bomb. He says she and Hikaru have the same ideals, the same heart. If she did ever use the red matter, she would never forgive herself, no matter how much time passed. As they transport back to the Enterprise, Yuki tries to tell her brother something, but all Sulu has to say is, Goodbye, Yuki. So they beam back to the Enterprise, and Spock gives the con back to Kirk. They talk a little bit about the fact that the Section 31 ship has just disappeared again. Spock and Kirk talk about the possible alternatives and how they've just allowed Section 31 to take off again with the most dangerous weapon in the galaxy, the Red Matter. So they ask themselves, is the galaxy really safer now? Later, back at the Starbase, Sulu and Kirk are speaking together. He's talking about what does he do now? How does he tell his parents that his sister is uh, some dedicated secret agent black ops splinter group? So they talk a little bit more about that and how Sulu says this is not what he expected to do to be fighting in battles. He expected to be an explorer. Kirk agrees that that's what they both thought they were going to be doing. So the scene cuts to the an external of the Enterprise as she takes off on her five-year mission again. Kirk's log talks about how the extraordinary circumstances that have just taken place will take a while to play themselves out, and where exactly the future leads them, they're not sure. But in this time of uncertainty and fear, they say it's more important than ever for the Enterprise to return to her original mission, to seek out new life and new civilization. And wherever they go, they will go boldly. The end. Nice. Right. 
you know, I'm not so sure they should just be taken off. <laughs> I'm glad they are because I want to, you know, get on with the mission. But um, right, it's like, are, are they are they so sure <laughs> there is going to be like major conflict coming out of this? I don't know. Agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, so those Narada Klingon ships, not all that good. <laughs> Well, so are they basically saying that those Section 31 weapons are so kick-butt that they were able to overcome whatever kind of shielding improvements the Naradaized Klingon ships got? Right. I didn't like that. No. It seemed a little bit too pat, didn't it? Right. So the Romulans completely destroyed all of the Klingon fleets. Right. And then Section 31... Self-destructs all the Romulan ships. Which, I, I did not like that. Well, I mean, the fact that, that they just used the self-destruction button on the Romulans, that was cool. Yeah, that part was kind of cool. So that, that, that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to take somebody else's weapons, you sure want to make sure there's a back door to it. Which they apparently didn't. Uh, but yeah, I thought that it was just way too pat. I totally agree with you. Uh, it, it should not have been that easy to take out those Klingon uh, Narada ships. Right. Agreed. Because they seem to have all their ships, right? Or, or okay, maybe they're down to four and they had five or six. But, mm, a little too easy. Right. Mm-hmm. Did not like it at all. Right. Yeah, and if you remember, when we first saw those Klingon ships, that was the one thing that I told you. is like, they better not just say the Klingons didn't build them right and they all explode for some ah. for no reason. Right. I mean, not quite as dumb as that, but, you know. Right. It's getting close, because <laughs> they all blow up. I just don't like it. Yeah. And maybe they didn't learn much as far as the shields. I don't know. But Scotty says in an earlier issue that whatever they're hitting the, or actually, maybe this issue, whatever they're hitting the Enterprise with is a lot more powerful than a photon torpedo. Photon torpedo, right. So they, so they got firepower. Right. The Klingon ships. They, they've got superior transporters. They've got superior, well, superior typical firepower abilities. So they didn't learn anything about shields? Anyways, wasn't a fan. Yeah. yeah. And you know when the unnamed Section 31 guy was talking, right. did you kind of feel like they were about to say that whatever they put in to explode the Romulan fleet also destroyed... Romulans itself, or all Romulan technology, or m- much more than just those ships that were in around Kronos. I because that's what yeah. I was getting when I was reading it. I was like, oh man, they did something that's that would be equally as bad to the Romulans as the red matter would have been to the the Klingons. But then that didn't happen. So no, maybe I, I was just reading into it. Yeah, the one thing you have to assume is that only those ships were equipped. With the Federation guns. Right. But even if more were equipped with it, you know, that's just a few more ships. I mean, you're not talking about wiping a Romulan city off the map or something. Right. But let's just say they did destroy Kronos. And then he destroyed all those Romulan ships. The Romulans are going to be pretty mad. So (laughs) I I don't see where he thought he was going to... I mean, yeah, they took out Klingons, but now... 
the Romulans can force focus all their effort on the Federation, where yeah. right now they have to focus on the Klingons and the Federation. Right. So, so your point is, hey, smart Section Thirty One guys, what was your end game? Exactly. What did you, how did you expect this to play out? Because you sure jumped on Kirk's bandwagon pretty quick. Right. Yep, that was my thought. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, where were they going with all this? And, you know, if they were going to use the red matter to completely destroy Kronos, just completely, you know, they, they could have used the threat of red matter. Eh, but then the Romulans would have known that there wasn't any more, any more than one drop. And by the way, did they explain why there's only one drop now? Uh, that was all that was left. Well, oh, 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 that's right. They were able... Oh, that's right. So the the Romulans were able to recover small bits of red matter. Right. That that they could get into a drop. Well, okay. the Romulans didn't do it. The the Vulcans did. Because the Vulcans, oh, the Vulcans were going to use it. it on Romulus. Remember that? Oh, that's that, right. That two-part yeah. yep. issue. I forgot. I forgot. That, okay, uh, so they were able to recover that much. Right. Because Spock had a lot of it. It seemed, you know, that, that big glass whatever containment right, chamber. Right. right, and then all of it got dumped uh, when the Narada was destroyed. Right. Yep. Okay, okay, I get that now. So at least that's a good piece of advanced technology from the future. There's only one drop left. So that's still, you know, we were talking before the last issue about, oh, they got transport beaming. Oh, they've got these high-tech things, uh... Federation cloaking devices. and But at least this is one dangerous, high-tech from the future thing that is quite limited. Right. So that's good. At least that much, you could say. Unless right? they're able to reverse engineer it. Mm. Mm. That's possible. All they got to do is figure out where in this universe they can find whatever makes up red matter and make their own... Right. But that was pretty high-tech, even in old Spock's time, next-gen time. So, right. yeah, I don't think it's going to be so easy. But they were able to reverse-engineer some uh, some Narada-like enhancements for a Klingon ship, so... Right, which are Romulan-Borg technology, so... Right, exactly. Yeah. So what do you think of the overall... Okay, so we're kind of talking about my question now, but what do you think about the overall story? I liked it. It wasn't that bad. I think it... it I didn't like the resolution, the ultimate resolution, uh, with the... Well, I think we just talked about it. Didn't like that the Klingons got beat so easy. And yep, yep. Yeah, the, the res- I thought uh, the first three issues were quite good. I enjoyed them. Uh, this one was very good, too. But if you think too much, uh, I, there's just so many questions that come to mind about this, how this was resolved. Right. And, but, and, of, and, of course, they're, the final page, they are talking about the full ramifications of what happened. You know, how they're gonna, how is all this going to play out? Do we really feel any safer now? <laughs> uh, Kirk and Spock say. Right. So, yep. I think the Section 31 guys are a bunch of numbnuts. Right. I'm not too impressed. And I do find it funny that they won't ever name the guy. Well, I know who he is. makes me think, who is it? He's Gomez Adams. <laughs> Look at him. He does look a little bit like John Austin. Uh-huh, with the little pencil-thin mustache. But no, I mean, <laughs> the the fact that he, they keep teasing, oh, my name's not important, implies yeah. that 
you know, kind of like what they did with Khan in Into Darkness, that he's supposed to be somebody we already know, but they're not going to tell us who it is. Because mm. I don't know why. Just, just tell me their name. Point. I don't. His name's Samuel Johnson. Oh, okay. <laughs> Big secret. <laughs> Hello, yes. Oh, my name is John Smith. Yes. It, it, it wasn't Robert April like like you were speculating earlier. Yeah, true. Why isn't Robert April back here? I mean, Section 31 has him. He's working with Section 31, right? Well, that's just your that's your speculation. We don't that's know. That's my sure. speculation. Yes. I mean, he was supposed to go and, you know, ooh, Federation justice for his misdeeds. Yeah, well. Right. He's in a cell right next to uh, Khan. Hmm. Must be chilly in that cell. <laughs> That's right. They refroze Khan. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So I haven't finished it. In fact, I've only read the first issue, but have you been reading the Khan miniseries? I have not. Okay. I do have I have um what the first three? At least right. the first two. I think I have the first three. But I have not taken the time to read them yet. I'm just wondering if, if that miniseries will end with him being refrozen. But oh anyways, I see. But, I see what you mean. Yeah, but but anyways, we're kinda off subject there. Yeah, I bet. So um you want me to tell you my one biggest 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 problem with this story is? Oh, okay. What's the biggest it's on one? the very first page. Okay. It might even be the very first balloon. Oh, second balloon. It says Vulcan four years earlier. Oh, four years ago. Right. So that means wow. that the events of Star Trek Eleven, whatever we call it, mm-hmm. that happened four years prior to this issue. Hmm. But they've already said that Into Darkness is a year after Star Trek Eleven. So now we're saying that this issue is really three years after Into Darkness, which would then kind kind of fit, maybe, because... Well, okay, so four years ago, four years ago, when Vulcan was destroyed, the 2009 movie. Right. Right? Okay. Right. Which happened one year before Into Darkness. That's what I thought. Right. That's what happened. Yeah. So, so you're so simple math. So this is three years after in darkness, which I don't, I don't buy that. No, especially since towards the end. Well, in in that movie, in the darkness, they were supposed to be getting riled up to to do their uh, five year mission, right? But of course, the ship took a lot of damage. We knew another year went by, right? Well, I thought that it said longer than that went by, um, because in his little speech at the end, doesn't he say it's been so many years since since um, the vengeance was destroyed or something right. like that? Because they had to rebuild the Enterprise. Yeah. So it just I, four years sounds excessive. Right. I, I agree with that. Or not excessive but, enough, depending on how much well, time. How do you figure that? I can't remember. Did he say five years? That keeps getting I, stuck in my head, but that no, seems really no, long. That does, no, there's no way. So they rebuilt San so, Francisco in, in a month or two? Well, did they show all of San Francisco? I no. Mean, 
Okay, so so when when they did that, it looked like Starfleet Starfleet headquarters, or maybe Starfleet Academy, or something like that. Right, and we knew they had major damage to that building. I forget. You know, people are, the few people that are listening to this are probably going, "You dummies!" <laughs> they said very clearly at the end of the movie. No, it must have been at least a year, but I don't think it was four or five years. Right. Okay. All right. That's fine. I'm just saying I don't I don't like the four year thing. Yeah, but I get knowing these guys and the fact that Mike Johnson seems to be pretty up on this stuff and Roberto's in there too. I have a feeling they might have got the math right. But the four years does seem like a long time. Right. But I mean yeah. Alright, that was my last comment. My last comment is this one. How did Elnar, the Romulan commander guy, how did he ever think he would be allowed to hunt down the Enterprise? I, how did he ever think Section 31 was going to let him do that? It's like, huh? So he's got the devil's deal with Section 31 and their partners and everything. But that's a Federation starship. It's like, right, how did right. he think Section 31 was going to be okay with that? I think uh, he thought that Section 31 was sharing everything with him, which doesn't make sense. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, here, have a starship uh, and an entire crew. No. Anyway, <laughs> that's my last question about that. All right. And and just back to the math thing in the, in the years. Yeah, what? I, I guess I could buy the four-year thing if we say that there was a year in between the vengeance crashing and Kirk giving the speech. Right. And then this is a year after that. Right. I mean, that would work. I think it would have to be something like that. Right. So, anyways, all right. I'll buy the four years. I changed my mind. <laughs> I've talked myself into it. Okay, good. Cause, uh... But then that definitely means that all those weird comments in the first in After Darkness storyline where McCoy's trying to do scans on him because oh, yeah. he wants to make sure that the con blood isn't making him crazy yeah. is way out of whack. So that's yep. that's definitely proves that all those comments were a year old. Yep. So. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So well, in some ways, in some ways they're making it sound like, ooh, this is just after the movie. And in other ways, they're saying uh, more time had passed. Right. All right. I'm good. Uh, that was my last cool. comment. Well, I do like the fact that this story arc definitely had a lot of action and conflict. And uh, that was kind of cool. So this this is like a movie-level, action-packed uh, storyline. Agreed. As opposed to something that's a much smaller kind of story, which they have done in some of these issues also. So that's cool. Right. It should be uh, interesting to see what they do next. Could there be some clues in this book, perhaps? I don't know. Which clues are you talking about? Which ones jumped out at you? Well, the clue that jumped out at me most was that cool... Cover of uh, next issue. Oh, <laughs> number twenty nine. It was a, it was a little hint, but uh, uh, the mirror universe where Spock and Kirk are women. <laughs> um, it definitely looks like that, doesn't it? Oh, it definitely is that. Okay, well, fine. So you so you know it's a mirror universe thing. Okay, right, Joanna Kirk. Or something like that. Yeah, I, I did not know how they achieved the cross-gender thing, but um, 
Fine. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, perfect sense. Well, as as long as they I mean, they show two identical enterprises, you know, coming out from a very handy little uh, Starfleet swoosh symbol in the very middle of the artwork, and then they've got male Kirk and Spock to the right and female uh, Kirk and Spock to the left. So right. that's all I have to go on. I haven't read anything about it. I haven't read anything more than just 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 what you just that here. one little sentence. What I just what what I just said that, that they're going to meet female counterparts, right, from another universe, which is ironic oh, from because, another universe okay, or gotcha. another dimension or timeline or whatever. Okay, okay. But there was a there was a Marvel comic where they kind of did the same thing where Kirk was replaced by his female counterpart. Oh, so interesting. It's kind of funny that, that they're. Gonna do it again. Redoing a Marvel story a little bit, huh? But well, I find it interesting to see how they're how they're moving forward and the story ideas they're doing. As eventually, someday we'll get another movie. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope we get a decent director. And then I want I want Star Trek back on TV. Yes, I would like to see that too. I don't I don't care about the big budgety thing, you know, the big budget you know, if they had to cut down the budget and make it for TV, right? you know epi- 22 episodes here that's that's how I want my Star Trek well, in addition to the movies yes, that's very cool or, I mean, yeah. you know you, yeah, no one's going to force you to pick one or the other right but but yeah, I agree, I, I, I like a weekly series and you know, do something different you know uh, do do the um, do the frontier storyline, you know, way out in the edge of things, the edge of the frontier moving out, you know, and maybe like and have everything. a space station out there. No, and all the interactions going on in the space station and no. the, and the wild no. frontier planet no. down below. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. All right, and call it Babylon Five. Yes, ah, D Space Nine. Duh. <laughs> All right. We any more about this issue? No. Enjoyed right. it. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me go. too. Yep. All right. So uh, next episode, we will be doing the last couple of issues of Malibu's run of Deep Space Nine. So issues thirty-one and thirty-two. Yes. Cool. That's good. I mean, it's not good. It's ending, but yeah. Get back yeah. to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. One of oh. your favorites. It is one of my favorites. Although the comic book, not so much, but the series itself, my favorite. Right. Yeah. One of my favorites. Right. All right. Well, until next week, I guess we'll let everybody go and talk to them later. Great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.